This is exactly right. Hi, I'm Erin Welsh. And I'm Erin Almond Updike, and we're the hosts of This Podcast Will Kill You on Exactly Right. We're back with our seventh season, which is bigger and better than ever. Because guess what? We're now a weekly show. This season, we're tackling everything from long COVID to norovirus, from the supplement industry to IVF, and so, so much more. New episodes drop every single Tuesday. Follow This Podcast Will Kill You wherever you get your podcasts. That we can't make change for other people but we can have control for how we are in this world. You know, that's an important decision to make each person for themselves. Mm -hmm. It matters that we show kindness. It matters that we help somebody in need. Welcome to the Parent Footprint Podcast with Dr. Dan. I am Dr. Dan, your host, and let me tell you about our mission. It is to make the world a more loving and compassionate place, one parent and one child at a time. At Parent Footprint, we believe the key to raising happy, healthy, and engaged kids is for us parents to seek the same in our own lives, happiness, health, and engagement. We believe that awareness is the foundation of your vision of successful parenting. And with increased awareness and intention, we can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint on our children. Today's show is called Fear, Facebook Mom Groups and Kindness with our special guest, Kristen Baer. We're going to talk about Kristen's recent piece on Scary Mommy, along with her new book, Agatha Rich is Afraid of Everything. She is also the author of The Art of Floating and Thirsty. She received her MFA from Columbia College, Chicago, and a BA in English and Journalism from Indiana University. She speaks and has been all over the place, several publications that you are aware of, And importantly, she is married, has two kiddos, and is from the Boston area, but she is from Pittsburgh. That seems to be very important. Kristen, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to be here, Dr. Dan. Okay, we have lots to talk about, and I think think we'll start with, tell us how you became a writer. Oh, that's a long journey. Um... So I realized when I was seven years old that I was a writer. Um, I was in my bedroom writing my first poem, The Hummingbird. I had never seen a hummingbird at that point. And my mom, my sisters, and my dad were out in the backyard playing wiffle ball. And my mom called through the open window. She said, Kristen, come out and play. What are you doing in there? And I said, mother, I am a poet. I am (laughs) writing a poem. Please do not interrupt me. And this was the first that she heard of my existence on this earth as a poet. Mm. Um, And that was the beginning. And I started working at that point on and continued ever since. So what you know, some of us have this calling, this knowing um, early and others, you know, we find it later, hopefully if we're so lucky. Can you describe what, what did it feel like back then? Like, how did you know you were a poet? What, what spoke to you? How did it feel? 
You know, I realized that I saw the world in story. Um, I spent a lot of time at the library as a kid, and I fell in love with a poet named Sarah Teasdale. And poetry that really, I don't really know why a kid would even be interested in it, but I was. And I remember sitting on the floor in the poetry section and just reading poem after poem. And I just, there was a gut feeling in my stomach, in my heart, in my soul. And I, I knew from that moment on. And I, it's a very funny thing because I have a daughter who's 13 now and my son is actually seven. And I looked at him the other day. I'm like, I was that old. And I can't imagine him knowing what he's going to do for the rest of his life right now. Mm. And I thought, that is the strangest thing. But it was clear. Clear as a bell. You just knew. You just, just knew. Now, so did you, when, at what point did you start to write or even think about writing about parenting or issues related to parenting? Um, you know, it's funny because I, before I even came, became a parent, I wrote an article, um, I think it came out in a San Francisco magazine about parenting with empathy. Um, one of the things that I do as a human and I've done since, again, since I was little is I save worms after rainstorms. <laughs> it's a very funny thing, but yeah. I go out after the rainstorms, I go to all the streets and I pick up worms and I move them to the earth. Um, yeah. and I've done the same thing with my kids. My kids are now worm savers too. <laughs> and, um, I wrote an article years before I came a parent focused on that. That was kind of, it was called Please Save the Worms, I think. Um, so that was kind of the beginning. I had nephews before I had my own kids. And then when I had kids, um, we adopted both our children. Um, mm -hmm. And when that happened, I started writing, you know, more regularly about parenting. So empathy has always been strong in you, empathy and compassion. It has, it has. Mm -hmm. um, you referenced the fact that I grew up in Pittsburgh, which is where Mr. Rogers yes. was yeah. based. And he's a huge part of my heart. He was a huge part of my growing up. And empathy, you know, just emanated mm -hmm. from that man. We actually went to the filming of the show a few times. Um, oh, wow. And wow. I have my own... Mr. Rogers' magnetic dress-up doll. <laughs> I read about that. I, yeah, I was, yeah. I, yeah, it's real. I was like, is this metaphorical? Oh, and I'm like, no, no, it's real. No, it's yeah. real. You too can yeah. get your dress-up doll. I love that. Um, yeah, and, you know, it kind of grew out of that. I, I kind of credit mm -hmm. Mr. Rogers with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mr. I grew up on Mr. Rogers as well, and I... Um, learned more and more about him through the documentaries and the movies that are out. And he's getting, fortunately, getting more and more press. I'm reading this book. Mm -hmm. My wife got me, um, Stillness is the Way, and uh, by, I think, Ryan uh, Holiday. And and Mr. Rogers is, uh, you know, he's, he's quoting, um, he's quoting um, all the great Stoics and all these amazing people and Mr. Rogers, right? It's like he, Mr. Rogers taught us so much about kindness and compassion in the face of of the other parts of humanness, which have been around for a long time. Um, we'll talk about it in your blog. It's very um, present. And, and of course, just with the times that we're living in and how hard it is to be kind when there's a lot of not kind stuff going on, to say the least. Yes, I agree 
wholeheartedly. So let's let's go to this blog because it um, it struck a chord with people. Did you have any idea that that your blog would receive so much attention when you wrote it? The one for scary mommy. Yes, the, piece the for one scary for mommy. scary mommy. Yes. Yes. Um, I kind of did. Um, I think you know Facebook mom groups are are a trigger point. There's so much goodness that happens in them, and there's a lot of struggling that happens in them. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I know that moms everywhere we we go back and forth on all this all these things. So I had a feeling that it it might trigger some people mm-hmm. in both positive and you know negative ways. Sure, sure. And uh, listeners, we're talking about why some women wield exclusion like a superpower. Um, and this came out on December eleventh. And um, so tell everyone about the story, which starts some years ago um, with your relocation. Yes. So we relocated. We lived in China for five years. Uh, We moved back to the East Coast of the United States in late 2010, early 2011. And my daughter at that point was three. And so we needed a new community. We needed to connect. We needed to make friends. So I reached out to some of the local groups in, in our new town. And we decided to go on an outing at someone's house, you know, just to get together um, with a group that was designed for newcomers. And so we, we were all excited. She and I, she needed some new friends and we arrived at this house and the woman welcomed, the mom welcomed us in and we went in to where the group was gathered and everyone turned and looked at us. And within a few seconds the backs were turned, the energy was was cold, and both she and I knew immediately that this was not a place where we were going to be welcomed, where we were going to find new friends. And I've thought about this ever since that day. She just looked up at me and she said, they, they don't like us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I kind of fudged it a little bit with her, you know, at that point, wasn't so direct saying, you're right, they, they don't. But and uh, so it went on and on and on. Um, but we eventually found some some groups that we were friends with and found our place. Um, but it came back because at 13, she is now starting to experience some of this exclusion in girl groups. And so we had, we've, you know, we're having more experiences with these things. Yes, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't, it, it it's part of our culture. And mm-hmm. um, that's actually what I want to talk about. So first of all, there's a few noteworthy things here. One is you have a three-year-old who right away picks up on exactly what you as an adult with tons of experience, life experience, also pick up on, right? This fundamental, I'm either in or I'm out. And then, um, you know, and then of course it circles back when um, kids become you know, they grow and maybe become young adults or pre-adults. And it's like, it it seems to be part of our, our nature. You know, I saw, you know, you talk about one of your explanations to, um, to this phenomenon is, you know, the just kind of hunters and gatherers and our tribe versus their tribe and um, uh, keeping our resources. And I'm wondering how much of it, you know, do you still think is that, and what are the other layers in our, current culture that might also be contributing on top of basic survival and evolution. 
Yeah. You know, I've, I've thought about this so much. Um, I think that's a big part of it is fear. I think that people's first response to something new or something that might feel threatening is fear. And that you basically have two available responses to fear in the way I see it. You have anger and aggression of varying levels, or you have empathy and kindness. And I think it's so much easier and it's become somewhat accepted in groups that anger and aggression are the more, are the easier steps for people. And I think that's often like the knee jerk reaction as opposed mm-hmm. to the empathy and kindness, which takes a little more energy and thought and consciousness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you're making me think in the, um, in the, in the world of energetics and um, quantum physics, you know, we talk, people talk about how those lower, the lower forms of energy or the literally that are, that are measured and traced are, you know, fear and anger and shame. And it's as we get higher up, there's love, compassion. And, and it is harder to live in Mr. Rogers land. I mean, you got to dig really deep in the face of a lot of, negative energy to get there uh a lot of the time you really do um and it's it again it it takes a conscious effort i'm not you know i'm by no means perfect at it uh you know i make missteps all the time my daughter makes missteps you know we're not standing on a higher ground by any means but i think being aware of it and moving through the world with that reminder to yourself Mm-hmm. Um, is one mm-hmm. of the ways to be able to to access that more easily, and it the more you do, the easier it gets. Mm-hmm. Well, and in the blog, so you talk about you know what you said to her at age three, and then how you handle it when she's in the middle of it. Let's say at age twelve, and so how does the narrative, how does the narrative change as a parent? I'm definitely more honest now. You know, I, I don't kind of walk around it, you know, in the instance that I reference in the article, um, I think I said to her, you're right, you know, some people do not like us or mm-hmm. like you and you will mm-hmm. meet people. And we have this conversation over and over again because it's something that happens over and over again. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I'm, I'm much more direct. I've kind of given up the, the story and we have some very open conversations about human nature and empathy and why is it, I mean, one of the things that comes up again and again is why do we have to be empathetic and kind when someone else is not? Mm-hmm. Why is it important right. to respond differently mm-hmm. when someone is being unkind or aggressive toward us? And that's hard. I mean, it's not easy to do. No, and it's a fair question. Yeah. Yeah. So what's so what's what what tends to be the answer for you? I go back. I often go back to Mister Rogers. Yeah, honestly, yeah. my kids know those shows intimately. They've watched mm-hmm. them. They know who he is, and we talk about how it makes a difference in how you are in the world. Mm-hmm. 
that we can't make change for other people, but we can have control for how we are in this world. And that, you know, that's an important decision to make each person for themselves. Mm-hmm. And we come back to that, you know, why is it important? Mm-hmm. Because it matters who we are in this world. It matters that we save worms. Mm-hmm. It matters that we show kindness. It matters that we help somebody in need. Yeah. You know, so back to back to themes of kindness and compassion and the kind of people that we want to be and how we want to impact the world despite how other people are acting and being. Precisely. Mm-hmm. The other thing um, your young daughter's awareness makes me think of is um, as parents, you know, we're, we're often trying to, as you tried to do, is shield our kids from, from um, hurt, um, from the, just the vulnerability that they have, and, and really from kind of the real world in a sense of that, yeah, like people can be mean and bad things happen. And, and, and there seems to be like, there's this fine line between how we can shelter them from unneeded pain and fear experiences until they need to understand them or we can't protect them from them. And, and that fine line between that protection and then being honest, like you said. And what it makes me think of is when you have young children there are different kinds of kids. Like some kids will just go along with what we want them to go along with. Like, oh, they don't know us. So they're just not yet sure what to make of us. And we'll get to know them better. You know, like just a really nice response. And other kids, although at a young age, look at us with this face of, you're not being honest with me. What aren't you telling me? And I feel like those kids at any age they they require us to dig deep and figure out how to deal with the situation so we continue to have credibility in their eyes as guides. That is absolutely true. And it is one of the hardest things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is, you know, as a parent, you just... And I think it's interesting having, you know, two kids and having gone through things with one. Um, and then you think, did I... Did I do that right? Did I yeah. have I have I taught the right things in the right way? And do, how can I do it differently? And again, it's a different kid, um, and it is. It's yeah. It, you know, I reflect back on you know parenting moments. You know, ten years ago or eight years ago, and I it's it all comes back because the kids remember. You know, she'll say to mm-hmm. me certain things about certain situations. So you did that. I'm like, oh, these things don't just disappear. You know, mm-hmm. they are beings mm-hmm. with memory and 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 story that grows in them, mm-hmm. just like we are. Mm-hmm. And it's a really interesting phenomenon because it, you're always reflecting on yourself as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and. Um, Social media, whatever format platform, um, whether they're kids, teenagers, or adults, there is this. I guess that's what I was talking about—the added culture. Like there is this added layer now of accessibility 
um, for behaving in certain ways with also this anonymity of, uh, I guess, courage to say whatever you want, things that you wouldn't say or do if you were actually standing in front of someone? Oh, it's so hard. Mm-hmm. It's, it's um, you know, we, we allowed our daughter to join TikTok this year. Oh, yeah. Um, and she's a private account, but private isn't truly private because you mm-hmm. invite your friends. And it's, you know, I'm very active on social media. And I'm aware of the fact that I'm working for likes. I'm working for a response. I'm working for approval in some way or engagement. But as an adult, I can be objective. Mm-hmm. Most of the time. (laughs) But when I look at her, it's, you know, she doesn't yet have that ability to be as objective as an Mm -hmm. adult. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's it's such a, a dilemma of, you know, I know that she's learning to behave for likes or you know, clicks or whatever it is that that form of social media and it's excruciating. And then I think, God, is it any different than what happened when I was a kid? You just didn't have it, you know, right there on a phone or a device and have it with you all the time, but it is very different. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It, it has huge impact on who they are and how they are and, um, what they're going to become, I think. Yeah, I mean, it, huge impact on identity development, right? Yeah. At this, at this most prime time of 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 who am I? Where do I fit in? How do I belong? Am I okay? And uh, these artificial measurements of, uh, yeah, you're good, we like you, um, or no, we hate you, and uh, we don't want you. And so, gosh, I mean, my wife and I always talk about, gosh, thank goodness we. Uh, we don't have this. You know, we didn't grow up with this. Like, we just feel blessed. And at the same time, it's like, yeah, how do we navigate, help our kids navigate through this? And and then, you know, we're talking about Facebook and we'll be talking um, about your book soon. It's like, this doesn't stop. I know we're talking about parenting, but this doesn't stop. I mean, I have a couple client um, executives who they talk about, they can't believe how they're waiting for responses from key people uh, despite their stature in their company and in life to feel okay about what they said and what they did. They're like, what is wrong with me? So like these things are just set up to, I don't know, it seems like to really suck away our confidence in ourselves and, and, and external, seeking external validation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is a funny, it's the phenomenon is so strange because you can be aware of it. You can be conscious of it. You're like, I'm doing this, waiting to see how many people like this thing. At the same time, you can't control the fact that you you want it. And it's right. it's the such a dilemma. It, you know, but when I talk about social media, I also acknowledge the fact that it is such an amazing way to be creative. And like the the pieces of it that I love for myself and for my daughter are just how you can connect with other people when it's, you know, when it's positive um, and how it's just such an amazing outlet for creativity that didn't exist before. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I was very resistant to TikTok. Um, 
and I still have, you know, a lot of control in that arena here, but at the same time, it's really creative and interesting and unique in how kids are telling stories, important stories through these, you know, 15, 30 second snapshots. Um, so there's just so much positive and so much negative about it. I, uh, wrestle oh, I with totally it all agree. The time. Totally agree. One of our youngest is does a, uh, follows and does a lot of TikTok, and I can tell it like, and sends sends us stuff. It's actually a way of connection, like mm-hmm. funny things, creative things. We should do this. We should do this. And uh, as a result of TikTok, we no longer have a smelly cat box in our house. We have a hole in one of our walls with a little outdoor cat box area, and it was like, oh my god, we've been trying to solve this problem for years and there we go tiktok did it for us we have the same thing we now make (laughs) eggs using a syringe so that you can make intricate swirly patterns (laughs) nice nice yeah yeah Yeah. well it does see so this is like discernment um with with everything it's like how do we how do we extract use the syringe and now like how do we extract the good from these things and try to stay away from the negative aspects while educated our educating our kids about this exactly (laughs) it's a a daily task it is it doesn't end it goes you know morning to night and yeah i don't there's no easy answer to it so let's um okay so your book Okay, so there's a there. You know, I wanted to. We want to talk about your book, and um, the first thing I just because I got such a kick out of this. So everyone, the the book Agatha is afraid of everything, um, and this is a book. Well, I'm gonna let you say what the book's about, but first tell everyone. I was thinking, should I say this? Or you say this. Tell everyone the original title, and I, as I know, <laughs> as I know from doing some books, like you, you just don't get your original title <laughs> most of the time. But I lo- we, we need to get some. We need to get this on record. There you go. So the yeah. the the title as it is now is Agatha Arch is afraid of everything. The original title was Agatha Arch's Father Muckin Heart. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Isn't it? Yes. Isn't it? Yes, it is. So tell like where did that that what did that represent of Agatha? Okay, so Agatha Arch is a woman who is incredibly afraid of many, many things in the world, thus the title. Um, and she has two, two sons in the book and she's, she's pretty expressive with her, her language and she curses all the time, but her sons don't like her to use the alternative, the, not the FM father mucking, but the alternative. So when she, when they're little, she starts saying father mucking instead of the opposite. So it's her curse word um, that just fits for so many things. I use it now. I have readers who are sending me notes saying, Father Mucking is a part of my life now. <laughs> Which is a tongue twister. I mean, you have to be disciplined to say that one the new way instead of exactly. the old way. Yes. Exactly. Yes. 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 Love it. Okay, so tell us, so tell us more about So where, where did this book come from? Like how much of this book comes from? from you and your experience versus, you know, a commentary on the modern, the modern mom and wife, I should say. Yes. So the book starts off, um, just to give you a quick rundown. Yes. Yes. Agatha Arch is married in the opening scene. She discovers her husband. This isn't giving anything away, um, in their shed, having an affair with the local dog walker. 
and she goes ballistic um, in a pretty unique way. Mm-hmm. And she is also a member of her local Facebook moms group. And she is the provocateur. There's always one in a Facebook mom group. There's somebody who pokes everybody and prods everybody and incites trouble, um, questions everything. And she is that person. But what you find out is that she is incredibly afraid of so many things from fava beans to alien invasion to driving on a highway. She's just wrought with fear in a, in a pretty serious way. And the book is her journey. Once, you know, this affair happens and her husband is no longer a part of her life. Um, she has to figure out a way to live in the world because he's been her buffer. Um, Mm. so it's a journey through fear. And, the Facebook mom group is mm-hmm. the kind of the defining structure of the book um, because she gets involved with a couple of the characters, Melody Whelan, who is the Kumbaya queen. There's another <laughs> character that most Facebook moms groups have. They're archetypes. It's the they Facebook are mom archetypes. group archetypes. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Then there's Jane Poston, who's kind of the, the queen, the grand dom of the Facebook moms group. Um, and she gets involved with, with these folks and she gets involved with some other things and hilarious things happen, but it also leads her to a new place. Which people have to read to find out that new place. Exactly. How, um, okay, so back to, uh, you know, I, I kind of pelted you with this question right at the front there is like, how much of this is you and your experience versus commentary, if any, versus commentary on the modern life? It's a little of both. Um, mm-hmm. I'd say it's more commentary. It's, I think a lot about fear. Um, mm-hmm. I think a lot about women's friendships. I think as I get older, the, these friendships are much more important to me. And I've spent, uh, now that book took me four years, so I really spent a lot of time thinking about women's friendships. But even before that, um, figuring out what was important to me and why some friendships last and others don't. Mm-hmm. And that's a core part of the story too. And then I'm absolutely fascinated by Facebook mom groups as a societal structure. Um, Agatha kind of says it best. She says at one point in the book, Facebook mom groups are the glory and suck duckery of modern day parenting. Mm-hmm. And that's how I feel. I mean, because all m- of moms out here are are part of a group and, you know, we depend on them for support and, and generosity, but then there are also explosive places that, you know, you're just shocked at, at the arguments that happen or the things that people share. People are just strangely open about their private lives. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just, yeah, they're hilarious. Yeah. They're hilarious places, and they're but they're such a part of parenting now. And so I wanted to dive in and really unpack that and really look at that. And I had mm. a lot of fun doing it. Mm-hmm. A lot of work, but a lot of fun yeah. doing it. So are are Facebook mom groups the the current version of 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 P, in 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 real person PTA? Yes. And I, and I, and I yeah, because yeah. I say this, I remember growing up with my mom coming home from these PTA mo- meetings and talking about this person and, oh my God, I can't believe what this person said and these people are so mean and these people are excluding these people. 
And like, would you believe, you know, just like incensed. And then my wife coming home from them when my, our kids were in elementary school and it was the same kind of tape. And it's like, this is group human nature. Yes. It seems, it seems. Yes. And it, it starts, you know, in middle school and it continues full force in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's probably one of the most brutal places for groups of women to engage. Uh, I think college, at least for me, is strangely was an easier experience. I don't know if they just, you know, there's just other distractions, but they definitely come back together. <laughs> They in do these, Late, in, in later life. Groups. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Exactly. They're like, exactly. we're not done with you yeah. yet, women. So, yeah, and I actually think it starts younger in a lot of places these days. You know, it typically it would be middle school is where we all expected it to blow up. With the, uh, it's like kind of like go to middle school. All of a sudden, here it all is. It seems like as kids are getting more advanced, and again, social media and and technology, it's we're seeing it start at the end of you know more towards the ele- end of elementary school. Absolutely. Third, third, fourth, fifth grade. Yep. We had girl drama in third, fourth, and fifth grade. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you just want to, oh, you want to hug them. You want to, you want to strangle yeah. them. You want to hug them again, you know. Yes. But. Yes. And how about this one? How about when you are privy to what some other kids or teenagers are doing to your kids and you want to throttle those kids, talk to those kids, talk to their parents. And yet it's like, so it's like, how do we protect without such committing a social taboo, which will only um, hurt the situation more? Absolutely. Because, you know, if you open your mouth, it it will stay there forever, (laughs) you know? Um, And I know from experience, not that I've done it, but I've been tempted my kid would be mortified if I got involved in any way, you know? So it's, uh, it's such a fine line, such mm-hmm. a fine line. It is such a fine line. And, you know, a, a major theme, uh, as you know, of this show is the idea of who we are as parents is a primary indicator of like how we raise and who are, who our kids become, you know, like we need to model, we need to model, um, being engaged in life, being self-aware, um, learning through trial and error, all of these things that we want for our kids. And and they're watching all the time. So, you know, when we're on social media, when we're making comments, you know, it's so important for how we are trying to model these things for our kids and also give us credibility when we're trying to be good parents and they're looking at us like, uh, I didn't see you do that when this happened to you. Absolutely. You know, one of my daughter's arguments for being allowed on social media was the fact that I do it constantly, um, you know, in a very creative way. And she said, you get to be creative in this way. Um, But again, you know, that conversation was about how do we behave on social media? How do we engage on social media? What are the appropriate ways? to do so. And what are the, you know, what do we want out of it? Mm-hmm. And what do we want to give to others? Mm-hmm. And so that's usually where our conversation returns, you know, like if something happens and starts to blow up and in, in her life, we come back to that question. You know, okay. This is important. So 
what do I want out of this and what do I want to give in return? Yes. Those are solid yes. guiding questions there. Exactly. And we, we return to them over and over mm-hmm. again. And they, you know, if you, if you circle around them and circle around them for a while, eventually you get to the fact that those two things are so intimately connected, mm-hmm. you know, that what you do affects what you get back. And mm-hmm. it takes a long time to learn that, you know, mm-hmm. and to also be able to, to do it regularly right you know right it takes practice well you said yeah as you said regularly i was thinking of regulation like the amount of self-regulation it takes to not to calm oneself down and not just respond with our initial emotional reaction is such an important skill that has to be cultivated over time. We could have a whole other discussion about that, Dr. Mm-hmm. Dan. <laughs> oh mm-hmm. my gosh. That is a big topic here at our house. Mm-hmm. And it's, I don't know where this was, but I, I saw this somewhere, um, especially with that kind of preteen brain and, you know, there's some of that explosive behavior and learning to to regulate. But somebody compared it to a snow globe, mm. the, the preteen brain and that inability when the emotions start to get high. And, you know, in my daughter in particular, and she starts to get upset and the, the yelling and the stomping and the slamming. And, you know, it's like a snow globe. You shake it up, shake it up, shake it up. And you have to wait for all that little snow to settle. So when when I'm thinking about, okay, when do I intervene with this? What's happening here emotionally with her? I go back, I think, snow globe, snow globe, snow globe. Yeah, and I yeah. wait for all that snow to settle before I step in. Yeah. And yeah. I think you're so right in that, you know, being on social media and being young is about learning, you know, in her place to to settle that snow a little more quickly or a little in a yeah. know, kind of structured way. And for somebody from the outside waiting for the snow to settle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, and connecting some dots here is, so I taught this, this book I'm reading stillness is the way it talks about a few situations. Um, Fabian in in Roman times and then uh, John F. Kennedy, but in, during the Bay of pigs invasion, when non-action was actually the key. Like mm. everyone wants people to react. And sometimes <laughs> the best thing to do is not to act. And then uh, personally, I've told the story. I'm not going to tell the story, but there's been a few, it was a few situations with one of our kids who was going through a very intense period of time. And twice, like my best parenting intervention was just to sit there and breathe and not do my usual reaction to the usual situation at that time. And it, it took care of itself without me reacting with my snow globe brain exactly because as grown-ups we we still have snow globe brain most of the time we're better at controlling it yes yes but okay back to social media though there's this thing where we see something and we get this feeling and it's like okay we're just in this little room all by ourselves and i'm just gonna respond to this person and as you said we're not just responding to that person most of the time like it's a whole big thing but we lose sight of that when our emotional brain takes over absolutely Hmm. absolutely and that's why you know it's so important for us parents to stay 
connected to that social media, to stay connected yeah. to those relationships and have those ongoing conversations. And, you know, it takes a lot of energy, uh, it does. you know, because you got to kind of pry your way in there. And like you said, you, you often have to sit still with it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I know that I get a lot more from my daughter sometimes if I just sit and wait for her to, right. you know, right. talk or yeah. give or mm-hmm. open, yeah. you know. Yes. And you want to just jump in and say, now what is going on? <laughs> exactly. And uh, and Kelly Corgan's words of wisdom to us all are, uh, and in one of her latest books is, tell me more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> ah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. tell me more. <laughs> right? like, just keep it coming. Keep it coming. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. It is time for the parent footprint moment question. Are you ready? <sighs> Okay, I I know you're ready. I know you're ready. Okay, tell us about a time that you became aware of yourself as an individual or as a parent, and that new awareness had a positive impact on your child. So, my daughter again um, is a kiddo human who never moves from one place to another in a straight line (laughs) from the time she was a baby. She takes the most unique route between two places um, that I've ever witnessed in another human. So when she was in preschool and we would, you know, be walking from the car to the preschool, she would be up the signpost, down the signpost, over the fire hydrant, under the stairwell, three cartwheels, four somersaults. It, It took us so long to get anywhere. And... At first, it used to drive me mad because mm-hmm. I'd be like, I have to get to work. I have writing to do. I have to get to my job, whatever it was. Um, and it, you know, in the beginning, her teachers would say, oh, we think, you know, when she was really little, we, we really need to keep our eye on this for ADHD. And I was like, ah, I don't think that's what it is. But um, then one day we were walking and... I was kind of pushing against that. I'm like, just walk. Let's just get to where we need to go. And I started watching her closely. And she, it was, we had a huge snow up here in New England. And she was going up the snow mounds and across the snow mounds and down the other side. And I was like, oh my God, we are just never going to get there. And I thought, why do we need to get there on time? And I followed her. And I went up the snow mound and I walked on top of the snow mound. And I realized up there, I was like, she sees the world mm. in, a, in a completely different, amazing way than I do. And her way is pretty darn cool. <laughs> and instead of, you know, kind of strong arming my way of getting someplace, what if I just follow her way and accept that? And so from that moment on, I just kind of followed her way and let her do her thing. And um, to this day, she's still that same Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. exploring, curious, seeing the world in a different way, human. And so am I. I love it. That's awesome. I'm just imagining you following her up the snowbank and then having this awareness of like, wow, it's kind of cool up here. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, as the grown-up, I had to get down that really steep yeah. <laughs> snow bank, which was much easier for her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's, thank you for that. That's just how much we just, 
are like these expectations and these rules that we don't even realize are just so much part of us and that our kids like who don't have them if we could just let them show us let them experience the world the way they're experiencing allow it to happen how uh, how freeing that is yeah and teach yeah. us yeah. like yeah, teach i us. i have yeah. a lot to learn from them mhm Kristen, thank you thank you thank you Tell everyone where they can find Agatha Arch is Afraid of Everything and your other books and your writings. Well, Agatha Arch is Afraid of Everything is available at all bookstores, Amazon, your local indie, which we love, um, Barnes & Noble, anywhere you can get books, you can get them. My past new novels, The Art of Floating and Thirsty, are also available um, in the bookstores. And you can visit my website at www.kristenbear.com, B-A-I-R. And you can just find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and now you can even find me on TikTok. Oh, <laughs> wow. That's big. That's she's, big. She's giving me lessons. Oh, that's cool. Everyone, we need to like really up Kristen's, I don't even think they're called likes, but whatever those things are, help her out. Yes. Go there. I, I, I only have nine followers on TikTok. Followers, I had I had yeah. ten on TikTok and somebody left me. So <laughs> <laughs> you're better off for it. No worries. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for talking to us today about fear, Facebook moms, and kindness. I think that's key, everyone. Kindness. And we're gonna think of Mr. Rogers, and I am gonna check out Mr. Rogers dolls because I'm intrigued um, by the wonder. Oh, Mr. Rogers, right? He just fills us up. Um, so thank you for this conversation today. Thank you so much, Dr. Dan. I really appreciate it. Everyone, you know what our job is. It is to be the person we want our children to become. Let's listen to Kristen and let's act with kindness. Let's think about what we want out of the situation and then figure out how to act in it. You know where to find the show. Tell everyone about it. Subscribe. Help us with our mission to make the world a more loving and compassionate place, one parent and one child at a time. And as always, ask yourself the guiding question, what footprint do you want to leave?